This is the audio version of Hannah Jane's Words newsletter of the 3rd of April, Greener Futures and More Books to Lift the Spirits. The April issue of Elle Australia is out and it's green themed. We created it and sent it to print before this madness descended, but it actually couldn't be more topical. What kind of world do we want to return to when all of this is over after all? Are we happy that, for example, the New South Wales Premier seems to be using the pandemic to cover the news that she's approved a new coal mine under one of Sydney's biggest drinking water reservoirs, no less. If you're a New South Wales resident, feel free to email her. I did, making my opinion quite clear. No reply yet. And it was actually Elle's April issue that inspired me to write to her. I interviewed Professor Leslie Hughes at the Climate Council about how we can effectively fight climate change ourselves, including a template to write it for writing to our MPs. I spoke to Professor Karen Hussey of the University of Queensland Centre for Policy Futures about how big business is, rather surprisingly, coming to the climate change party. And I profiled Kate Greyrock, an ecologist who has the coolest job in conservation, going out into the remote bush on expeditions to find animal species as yet unknown to science. Fun fact, I met Kate in a deserted campsite four days walk out of Carnarvon Gorge in Queensland. A photographer and I were documenting the hike for Australian Geographic magazine and she was just doing it solo for fun. She blew into camp with a tiny little backpack had a brilliant conversation with us over our respective dinners, wandered around the campsite barefoot and was up and gone the next morning before I was even awake. She's a powerhouse. Anyway, L Australia's April issue is a cracking issue and well worth buying from magshop.com.au. And I also noticed gardening and other wholesome home-based activities are going gangbusters, so I joined the Scrum, madly ordering seeds and bulbs that I have no idea how to plant or grow. Nothing like learning through doing, though. I'll let you know how my grape hyacinths, sweet peas and cosmos fare. My fit of garden frenzy was inspired by a reread of Virginia Woolf's Garden by Caroline Zoob, which details the author's 10 years as a National Trust tenant at Monk's House, Woolf's last home. That's one of my favourite places to visit when I'm back in Sussex. And the book's a gorgeous coffee table time, heaving with glorious photos. Very inspiring what I'm reading. A long read from The Guardian called Can Nature Really Heal Us? It's about the trend for nature cure books. This one is super interesting on the idea of the green pharmacy, the idea that you can just pop out for a walk in the woods and your depression will be cured. For soppy greenies such as myself, it's actually a really appealing idea. But people and nature are a lot more complicated than that. And that's explained in this piece. Uh, and it refers to some of my favourite books, including Richard Maybe's Nature Cure, Helen MacDonald's H is for Hawk, and Amy Liptrot's The Outrun. And also, let's just do nothing in lockdown. I was reading a piece in the New York Times called The Case for Doing Nothing. And since discovering in my last newsletter that productivity is a lie, I feel like I'm quite good at this one. See every Instagram story I've ever posted from my hammock. 
And I've also been reading Harry Sadler's The Eastern Curlew, which is one of that rare breed, the Australian nature writing book. I'm not a big bird fan, but Sadler won me over with his earnest pursuit of his own favourite rare breed. He visits China, South Korea and the Finnish Arctic to follow the eastern curlew's migratory route. Since humans have been studying bird migration, he says, we've mapped the flight paths of countless species. And in drawing the boundaries of the invisible flyways of the world, we create an architecture, a house of the imagination, in which human and bird minds meet. By tracing the world's flyways, we attempt to see the world, though imperfectly and at a remove, through the eyes of a bird. We translate the non-human world into something human. That's a gorgeous way of introducing an idea that's part of the current move in nature-inspired writing towards centering the non-human, for example, Richard Powers' The Overstory. This trend seems to be a reaction to the books in which nature is valued only for its power to help humans. And that idea is mentioned in that Guardian piece I talked about above. So nature writing really does contain multitudes. Sadler writes of the mudflats of the South Korean island of Gangwa, which is on the Curly's migratory route. Quote, The gloss of moisture and the meandering lows caught the low-angled late afternoon sun, causing part of the mud to shine like silver. In the first place, a soft magenta hue. Birds' footprints were imprinted like hatch marks on the mud, webbed for gulls, unwebbed for herons and shorebirds. And at the Finnish Arctic, where the curlews breed, he writes... The same crisp, clear air that makes the colours of the forest and treeless fells so vivid also makes sounds seem brighter and sharper. In the cleanness of the air, sounds crack like snare drums. And of Victorian salt marsh, on a sunny day in summer, when the water levels are down, salt glitters in the exposed mud like stars. I just want to chew on those sentences. I think they're brilliant. And inevitably, he speaks of the human development of the mudflats that's destroying the habitat of his beloved shorebirds, meaning many species are now endangered. And that's not without consequence. He points out how interconnected we all are. Quote, shorebird lives are inextricably linked to the sea. So too are human lives. We all live connected lives now. Planetary health is a concept I've just been introduced to by a story in the scientific American called Destroyed Habitat Creates the Perfect Conditions for Coronavirus to Emerge. Obvious warning, corona content. And that's very relevant. Everything's connected. And that's something I hope we all remember when this is all over. What you should be reading. People seem to like the giant reading list for troubled times in my last newsletter. So I'm adding a few more escapist comic reads here. I'm violently against the idea of using lockdown to tackle Ulysses or the complete works of Shakespeare, if that's not your bag. Stressful times call for relaxing reading, not self-improving tones. So I just reread Stella Gibbons's Cold Comfort Time, Cold Comfort Farm for about the thousandth time. It's not screamingly laugh out loud funny, but it is lightly, dryly, understatedly, unrelentingly witty. It's gloriously put plotted, and Flora is a heroine for all time. I think Gibbons is the literary mother of many equally brilliant comic novels by British women, and Mary Wesley's The Vacillations of Poppy Carew is preeminent among those for me, just the name makes me giggle. 
Sylvia Townsend Warner actually wrote Lolly Willows before Gibbons wrote Cold Comfort Farm, but it's somewhat along the same lines. Gorgeously weird and deeply, deeply satisfying. And Nina Stibby is the modern bearer of that crown and any of her brilliant books tick the comic clever box. And if I may add a Y chromosome to the mix, Scoop by Evelyn Waugh is utterly brilliant. The shy and retiring nature writer William Boot is mistaken for up-and-coming correspondent John Boot and sent to cover the war in a tiny African country for the Daily Beast newspaper. It contains the most gloriously overblown nature writing I've ever read, penned, of course, by the more hapless of the boots. Feather-footed through the plashy fen passes the questing vole. Even though I adore nature writing, I am now always on the alert for any hint of the plashy fens in it. And this one, I think, is screamingly funny. Orlando by Virginia Woolf. That's not broadly comic, but it is very amusing, compulsively plotted to me, and is quite the loveliest love letter I can think of. It's to Vita Sackville West, of course, and contains the most beautiful portrait of her and of Sittinghurst, the beloved ancestral home she lost through being a woman, therefore unable to inherit. Another of my favourite places to visit in the south of England and another of my favourite books. I'll keep adding to this list until I run out, I guess. And I'll see you in two weeks. Bye.